Food is the fuel for your body, and it's going to determine how well you run. And what you put into your mind is the fuel that will determine how well your mind will run. Hi, I'm Nils Vinna, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Have you ever felt like any day everyone else is going to find out that you don't know what you're doing? And when they do, you will be humiliated, ridiculed, or even fired? I'm Nils Vinya. And I help managers and directors inside B2B companies overcome imposter syndrome so they can save time, get promoted, and inspire their team. Imposter syndrome at its core comes from the comparison of yourself to someone else. This is the simplest definition I could come to after looking at exactly how it has impacted me and my leadership abilities throughout my career. I've looked over my shoulder many times throughout my leadership career and hoped that nobody would find out exactly what was going on inside my head. Now, this caused a tremendous amount of anxiety, pain, lost productivity, wasted time, you name it, I've experienced it. And despite imposter syndrome having the potential to be debilitating, it is possible to learn to overcome it. And when I say overcome it, I don't mean you overcome it once and never deal with it again. What I mean is that when you overcome it, you overcome it each and every time it rears its ugly head. If you're always pushing yourself, growing, learning, you will continuously put yourself in positions where you feel like an imposter. But it is possible to overcome it every time it comes up and use the experience to build your confidence to drive you forward. Imposter syndrome is rooted in your psychology, and that's why I'm going to share with you the five lessons I learned overcoming imposter syndrome. So let's get into it. Lesson number one, recognize what imposter syndrome is. Imposter syndrome at its core comes from the comparison of yourself to someone else. And one of the hardest times that I ever went through that was directly related to imposter syndrome was when I joined a company as a VP of customer success, where I was responsible for everything post-sale in this B2B business. Now, this was the very first time that I was in the VP level role. And this company wore their net promoter score or NPS as a badge of honor. They were so proud of their score and the fact that it had never dropped It started high and it stayed high. And if you aren't familiar with NPS, it's simply a score that measures customer sentiment. Well, within a quarter of me joining this company, the NPS score was cut in half. And this was a five alarm fire 
all hands on deck kind of situation. Being the VP of CS, this quickly fell into my lap to solve. And I partnered with one of the co-founders and we came up with a plan to interview our customers to find out what was happening. Over the next six weeks, we interviewed a dozen customers for an hour each and ended up with a mountain of data. The co-founder, at the end of this, needed to jump to another project now that the interviews were over, and I was in charge of moving everything forward. So there I was, sitting in front of a mountain of data, knowing that somewhere in the data were clues that would lead us to an improved NPS score in the future. Now, I had never taken on an analysis project like this before, but I was eager to do a great job since this was the first time I was in the VP seat. The only problem was, I was stuck. I literally did not know what to do with this pile of data. I couldn't get started. It's almost as if I froze like a deer in the headlights when staring at this monstrous project in front of me. And after a few weeks of my CEO continuously asking me about my progress on the project and what the next steps were, I started to seriously question my role at the company and whether or not I was even qualified to be a VP. I was comparing myself to a fictitious person that was perfect in every way. And my comparison led to imposter syndrome hitting me hard. I started to lose sleep. I wasn't able to avoid the ever-present stress that lived inside of me. I had this knot in my stomach that just would not go away. And if you've ever felt that Sunday night stomach where everything gets tense because you know Monday morning's gonna be crazy, you know what I'm talking about. It was like having that feeling in my gut all the time and it never went away. But it was about this time that a member of my team gave me a copy of the Strengths Finder book. And I eagerly read it on the train home that night and was blown away by what it said. I took the associated strengths finder assessment as soon as I could and discovered that my most dominant strength was something called maximizer. And to me, this means that I see strengths in other people, oftentimes before they see it in themselves. And bringing awareness of strengths to others gives me tremendous satisfaction. What wasn't in my top five strengths was anything about being analytical which is what was currently required for this particular project. So instantly, I had a level of clarity that I never had before. I now knew why I was stuck with the analysis project. So the next day, I had a conversation with my employee who gave me the book, and I asked what her strengths profile was. It turns out that her number one strength was something called strategic which meant that she could cut through mountains of data and get to the answer before she even knew how she got there. Sometimes she even felt bad about getting to the answer so quickly. I told her about my challenges with this project and I asked for her help. And she responded with wide eyes saying, that is my most favorite type of project to work on. Can you believe that? The problem that I couldn't solve was her most favorite type of problem to work on. I was literally blown away. Now we successfully completed our project together where she drove the analysis using her strengths and I supported her in the analysis and communication to the executives which focused on my strengths. 
It was a success because we each focused on what we were naturally talented to do. So the lesson in overcoming imposter syndrome for me as a result of this experience was to realize that imposter syndrome was me comparing myself to someone else or some other perfect thing. But what enabled me to overcome it and succeed was by focusing on what I was most talented to do. The language I now had from the StrengthsFinder assessment enabled me to be more confident because I know that I'm when I'm doing the work that is aligned with my strengths, I am world-class. And thankfully, I get to share incredible stories like this and work with managers and directors inside B2B companies to show them how to claim their strengths to overcome imposter syndrome. Now, claiming strengths doesn't just involve taking the strengths assessment and then reading the results. That's involved, but that's just the start. What we do in the B2B Leaders Academy is take the results of the assessment and then go way deeper so that you can claim your strengths and know exactly how to approach your work and the work of others to deliver world-class results. This leads us to lesson number two control what I put into my brain. Now, I'm a very big proponent of living a healthy lifestyle. Healthy to me means being very conscious of what I put into my body, which is my fuel. It means having a regular meditation practice where I'm able to recharge. It means getting at least eight hours of sleep every night. It means spending time with the people I care most about, which is my family. All of this produces a great quality of life. And if you look at what you put into your body as fuel, you're going to see the direct impact of the decisions that you make. For example, if you consistently eat unhealthy processed foods, fast food, sugar-filled food, etc., you're not going to feel very good. Your body is like an engine, and how well it runs depends on the quality of the fuel that you put into it. Now, the interesting lesson I have learned is it's the exact same thing for your brain. What you put into your brain is what will determine how well it runs. And I like to think about my brain as a computer. It is a computer that runs programs every day. These programs might be as simple as the steps to go through to tie your shoes, or they could be as complex as how am I going to figure out how to solve a problem? Virtually everything that you put into your brain gets stored in a program somewhere. And let's look at some examples to see exactly how what you put into your brain will impact feelings of imposter syndrome. The easiest one to look at first is social media. And I'm going to be completely honest and a little bit vulnerable here and tell you that I actually get feelings of imposter syndrome almost as soon as I open my LinkedIn feed. Most of my social focus is on LinkedIn, and I don't spend a ton of time on Facebook, Instagram, or other platforms. But when I open that LinkedIn feed, I'm seeing updates from everyone I know about and all of the incredible things that they're doing. If I'm not careful, and if I let myself get sucked into the infinite scroll, I will walk away from that brief bit of time not feeling very good about myself and really starting to doubt myself. It's human nature to compare yourself to someone else. And the biggest lesson I learned is that if I controlled what I put into my brain, I could control how I felt. And I developed routines and patterns to catch myself 
any time I was going down the rabbit hole of comparison because the feelings of being an imposter or not being as good as someone else immediately showed up. So when I look at this objectively, I fully realize that it sounds silly, but the reality is it's true. Social media is great for so many reasons, and for me personally, there is another side that can take over if I'm not careful. So instead of entertaining the endless scroll and comparing myself to other people, I consciously decide every day to fill my brain with tools, knowledge, strategies, and tactics that will help me to get to my next level. I invest heavily in myself for this very reason and am currently working with three different coaches to help me in different areas of my business and my life. I know that if I pay someone who has already accomplished what I want to do, I'll be able to take to control what I put into my mind and I'll get there exponentially faster than if I tried to do it all on my own. This is the power of coaching. And I've fully embraced this ever since I became a leadership coach over 10 years ago. In summary, food is the fuel for your body. And it's going to determine how well you run. And what you put into your mind is the fuel that will determine how well your mind will run. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. Lesson number three, believe more in yourself than anyone else. In 2014, I had reached the VP level, was very successful in my role, and essentially worked myself out of my own job. Now, this is a mindset that I think all leaders should take to heart because there is so much power in removing yourself from being needed. And it might sound counterintuitive, but it is incredibly important and empowering. I'll have to do another episode on working yourself out of your job because there's so much wrapped up in that. Okay, back to 2014. Towards the end of that year was when I started to get bored because I wasn't needed on a day-to-day -day basis inside my organization. My team was running like a machine. And I had an honest conversation with my CEO at the time and I told him that he didn't need me anymore and that one of my team members could actually take over the running of the department. He agreed and then asked, what are you going to do next? Well, it was at that point where I decided to become a customer success consultant. Now, customer success was still very, very new, and I had some tremendous success in my roles. I was deeply passionate about the space, and I believed that there were other people out there that would want some help building their customer success organization. And this was right before Thanksgiving of 2014. Now that Thanksgiving, for that holiday, my family and I, along with my siblings, their families, and our parents, had all arranged to go to Los Angeles, where we were from, to meet up and spend time together. So we drove down from the Bay Area to Los Angeles and got there late in the afternoon. And I was really excited 
at this time to share my news about becoming a consultant, and I wanted to share it with my parents. So we unpacked, got the kids settled. We were just chatting when I shared the news. I told them, I'm leaving my job as VP of Customer Success, and I'm going to become a consultant. (laughs) It was at this moment, I was really excited. Right up until the point where the last word of that sentence came out of my mouth. And what happened next was not what I had expected at all. The first words out of their mouths were, What? How are you going to make money? How are you going to support your family? How are you going to get clients? What they shared was every fear they had themselves and they placed it on me. Now their comments actually had nothing to do with me and my situation, but it had everything to do with them. So make a mental note here that when people share doubts and concerns about your decisions, it's actually not about you. It's actually about them and their fears. I was in a state of shock in this moment. And I think I just made up some stuff to get out of that incredibly awkward situation. And to be honest, I had no idea how I would answer those questions. I had no idea. So the holiday came and went, and we drove back to the Bay Area on Saturday and got everything back to normal on Sunday, and then it was time to return to work on Monday. And at that time, I was working from home on Mondays, And all of a sudden, I had a massive panic attack on Monday morning. And I remember being in my office area, trying to concentrate, and having the feeling, this wave of doubt washing over me, of this fear, this worry, an all-around terrible feeling, just completely consuming me. I almost felt as if a thousand-pound weight was dropped on my shoulders, and I literally couldn't get up. My breathing was short, my stomach was in a knot, and I felt completely alone. I shared with my wife later that day what had happened. And I was telling myself things like, you're leaving your job because you're too good at it? Ha! (laughs) Nobody's going to pay you. How are you going to support your clients? How are you going to get clients? How are you going to support your family of five living in the Bay Area? Now, my wife has always supported me, and I am forever grateful because she was there to help get me through this. I didn't sleep much that night, if at all. And then I returned to my company's office on Tuesday morning. Something in me just wasn't ready to roll over and let that fear that I experienced on Monday run my life. And for the few weeks prior to the break, I was actually talking with a potential coaching client about a project. And for the next 90 minutes, that Tuesday morning, I did nothing but write down every step that I would take with that coaching client. And after the 90 minutes was up, I felt this incredible sense of confidence. And I realized that I knew exactly what I was doing and that I had nothing like what I was fearing to really worry about. At that moment, I believed in myself more than anyone else in the entire world, and it felt amazing. There was literally nothing that was going to stop me. And shortly after this, 
On January 1st, 2015, I founded the very first customer success consulting firm that ever existed in the entire world. And it took a lot for me to get to the place where I believed in myself more than anyone else. Looking back at that moment that was almost eight years ago now, I see the role that it played. I know how pivotal believing in myself has been in the success I have had in overcoming feelings of imposter syndrome. This leads us to lesson number four. Invest in yourself no matter the cost. Back in lesson number two, I talked about how important what I put into my brain was to my success in overcoming imposter syndrome. And this is directly related to investing in yourself no matter the cost. For the better part of the first 10 years of my professional career, the amount I invested in myself was negligible. And as a result, so were the results of my career. I stayed at an individual contributor level for that entire period and simply bounced from one job to the next, trying desperately to find where I fit in the professional world. Now, the first major investment that I made in myself was going to grad school and getting an MBA in management and organizational behavior. At that time, I made the decision to go to grad school. I was working at a startup and my salary was in the neighborhood of $40,000 a year. My wife and I had just had our first child and this startup really wasn't going to support me and my family and the future family we wanted to build. The money to pay for grad school didn't exist. So what I did was I took out loans because I knew that the investment would be paid back many times over in the future. Little did I know that this investment was what I call the real start to my career. By putting into my brain all the amazing tools, techniques, and lessons that I learned, I was able to overcome feelings of imposter syndrome. And after grad school, I was working for probably a year or two before I felt this urge to really push myself again. I didn't need another degree, but there was so much more that I wanted to learn to help grow my career. That's when I decided to become a certified leadership coach. And I spoke with my wife after thinking about this, as it would require a lot of sacrifice for both of us. At this point in time, we now had three kids, We were living in the Bay Area. I was working for another startup. My salary had increased significantly from that measly 40K before grad school, but living in the Bay Area takes a lot. And with three kids under five, money was tight. I found the coaching program that I wanted to go through, which was called the Academy of Leadership Coaching and NLP, which stood for Neuro Linguistic Programming. I spoke with the director, and then I signed up for the program. Now at the time, this program cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $4,000 and would require me to be gone from Thursday to Sunday, one week out of each month for six months. Now I didn't have $4,000, but it didn't stop me. I also was not interested in asking my company to pay for it because I didn't want them to have anything hanging over me where I had to do certain things since they paid for this program. The bottom line is, I found a way. 
I didn't know it at the beginning, but when I ended the program, I actually started coaching clients on the nights and weekends and was able to pay back the $4,000 investment with coaching income in not too much time. And I also got promoted while I was actually in the program, which helped me repay the investment. I didn't have the money, but I signed up anyway, got the training, filled my brain with incredible tools, transformed my life, and to this day, coaching skills have been one of the greatest leadership tools in my toolbox. Here's one more example. In 2019, I needed some help in my consulting business. I've been running for four years and I wanted to build more consistency into my business. There was an opportunity to go to an event in Austin, Texas with someone I was only familiar with through his online content and the price was $5,000. Now, this didn't include the travel and the hotel, so the total for the event was probably close to $6,000 or $6,500. So I signed up and I went to the event and I learned a tremendous amount in three days and then spent another $13,500 to join a year of this person's coaching program. And I honestly didn't have this money at the time, but I knew that if I learned the tools and followed the path of what this person had achieved already, I would be successful too. And you know what? Within six months, I can directly tie $25,000 to what I learned in that three-day event. What I learned shaped the talk I gave at a conference. That talk directly led to two speaking engagements worth $25,000. Again, you see the pattern here. Each time I invest in myself, I usually don't have the money on hand, but find a way to make it work. And then the investment ends up paying for itself over and over again. But the key is that I take the risk first. Nobody is ever gonna tell me what I can and cannot learn. So many of the strategies that I'm able to share with the members of the B2B Leadership Academy come directly from the results I've achieved after investing in myself. Each time I got a result, the imposter syndrome voice would be less and less. And I constantly feed my brain the right things through investing in myself no matter the cost or whether or not I have the money. And last, but certainly not least, we have lesson number five, become the CEO of your career. This lesson is an overarching one as it is the underpinning of all the others. For the better part of the first 10 years of my career, I wasn't the CEO of my career. I made a very clear decision one Saturday morning in my first semester in graduate school. On some weekends, the program would arrange for outside speakers to come and give a presentation. And this Saturday, a gentleman walked onto the stage in front of about 100 people, stood right in front, said nothing for a few seconds, and then asked one very powerful question. He simply asked, are you the CEO of your career? And I was stopped dead in my tracks. All of a sudden, my entire professional life flashed before my eyes and I began to get angry with myself. I was angry because the answer that came out of my mouth was no, I was not the CEO of my career. 
And I still remember sitting in that seat in that auditorium on that Saturday morning and making the decision right then and there to never again not be the CEO of my career. You see, up to this point, I always asked my bosses and my company, what should I do? I used to say things like to my boss, you know me, you know the organization, where should I go? What should I do? You see, I was never willing to answer those questions for myself. And this contributed to the fact that I bounced from job to job and stayed at effectively the same level for nearly a decade. Being the CEO of your career means that you are in charge and you are the only person who can make the call on what's right for you to learn, to do, what company to work for, what you want to pursue, etc. That's it. Nobody else but you is in charge. And this can be a bit intimidating as it was for me, but I was so angry that I had let so many years go by with me not being the CEO of my career that I was ready and committed to change. We're living in a fundamentally different time than ever before when it comes to working for companies. No longer is it normal to work for one or even two companies for your entire career. It is far more normal to work with lots of companies, and that's a good thing. It's changing the environment, problems, people. They all help you adapt and build incredibly valuable skills. If we look at the CEO of a company, their job is to increase the value of the company for their shareholders. This is a pretty standard CEO job description. Now, if we look at you being the CEO of your career, your job is to increase the value of your single greatest asset, which is you, for your shareholders. And your shareholders are your family, your friends, your network, your company, your clients, etc. Your shareholders are every person or group that you come into contact with. And your job is to continuously increase your value. And if you do that, other people will always want to work with you. So if you look at the relationship between employees and companies today, it's driven by value. There are two parties coming together in an exchange of value with one another. At the point at which one party is no longer getting value from the other, then it's time to reevaluate and perhaps make a decision to change. When you're not the CEO of your career, like when I was, imposter syndrome is likely going to consistently come up because you are always comparing yourself to someone else. However, when you are the CEO of your career, imposter syndrome fades because you're in control. You're in the driver's seat. You're able to make decisions that support you and your growth. I've been running my own businesses now for almost eight years. And at this point, I never could have done it without being the CEO of my career. I'm in charge. I make the call on what I invest in so that I continuously bring more and more value to my clients and everyone I interact with. When I'm focused on increasing my own value, I'm not worried about comparing myself to someone else. So these are the five lessons I've learned overcoming imposter syndrome as a B2B leader. Lesson number one, recognize what imposter syndrome really is. Lesson number two, 
control what I put into my brain. Lesson number three, believe more in yourself than anyone else. Lesson number four, invest in yourself no matter the cost. And lesson number five, become the CEO of your career. Now, being a great leader simply means that you have a toolbox full of leadership tools that you can pull out and use to overcome challenges like imposter syndrome. Inside the B2B Leaders Academy, there are leadership tools broken down into step-by-step -step plans so that you can put them into action and get immediate results. These tools and leaders, the leadership coaching to support you overcoming imposter syndrome each and every time it comes up and ultimately becoming the leader you've always wanted to be is part of the B2B Leaders Academy. If you'd like to learn more and join us, simply go to B2B, the letter B, the number two, the letter B, leadersacademy.com. Until next time, take care and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.